In the last show of 2020, let's talk about developing a marketing conscience, the mark of marketing integrity. Welcome to episode 261 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. And thank you for sticking with me throughout 2020. What a strange year it's been. We've all had to do different things. We've all had to think about pivoting. I hate that word, pivot. Why did I just use it? We've all had to think about changing our business practices, some for the better, Some have obviously been very difficult. So I really do appreciate you sticking with the Marketing Finance Podcast through this really, really weird time. And this is the last episode of 2020. From a personal point of view, two things stand out for me this year. As a marketing consultant and speaker, I used to spend lots of time in conference rooms and at conferences delivering workshops and delivering speeches, sometimes about marketing strategy, sometimes about keeping marketing simple, sometimes about financial services. And all of that completely stopped last February and March. Pretty much everything that was in my diary for 2020 was cancelled. Now, fortunately, a lot of that consultancy's come back now, and a lot of those conferences and workshops have reimagine themselves in an online environment. And, and you know, sometimes I feel more like a video producer than I do a conference speaker and marketing consultant. But this is the world that we live in. And I think that from now on, virtual events and virtual workshops are going to be a much bigger part of our lives going forward, even when the vaccine for COVID gets distributed. And even when things start to go back to normal, I think that we will will not return to mass conferences. Yes, there will still be live events, and and we're human beings and we like to get together in rooms and have networking and drink coffee and drink beer and and socialise and talk business. But I think that the virtual side of things will remain. And going forward, we're going to be seeing a combination of virtual and real-life events. So I was delighted with all the great feedback I got on episode 260, yes, that was only last week's episode, about how to stand out at virtual events. And I was so encouraged by the feedback that I actually recorded a video version of that show with the examples that I used in the audio version. I actually included the actual video shots of some of the conferences that I've been to this year, showing how you can mix together live video footage with pre-recorded video footage. So if you want to have a look at that video, check out my YouTube channel. It's Roger Edwards TV. Check it out, Roger Edwards TV on YouTube. I'd be delighted if you give that video a watch. And if you like what you see, please do subscribe to my YouTube channel. Second big thing that happened to me this year was that I finally published my book. Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans is finally out there. As you would expect if you're a long-term listener of the show, it's all about how to keep marketing simple. Put together a simple marketing strategy and then keep your business simple as your business grows. 
I've been delighted and overwhelmed with the feedback that I've had on the book and some very kind reviews left for the book on Amazon. So if you want to check out Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans, have a look at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. And for the last show of 2020, I thought I would tell you a story. Yes, it's just me and the mic. The guests will be back next year. This week, I just want to tell you a story. And it's a story about developing a marketing conscience. It's something I invented about 15 years ago, and it's something that I hold myself to account all the time. I call it the couch test. Why? Because I think that so much marketing remains annoying. I actually open quite a lot of my talks with the following statement. Marketing is broken, busted, kaput, except when it's done with integrity and a deep, almost obsessive understanding of the customer. Unfortunately, today we're bombarded with pop-up ads, intrusive emails, annoying adverts. You know, you, you go onto many, many media websites and it's impossible to read the news articles because of all the adverts popping up, covering up what you're trying to read. It's very, very annoying. People bombarding with emails just because you've signed up for a webinar. It's annoying. And unfortunately, the COVID crisis doesn't seem to have made things any better. If, if anything, it's worse. The amount of marketing crap, and it's basically crap out there, is at absolute overload. At absolute overload. So I thought it would be a nice idea to revisit this whole idea of marketing conscience, marketing integrity. So grab yourself a coffee, sit back, and let me tell you this story. Marketing always starts with customers, and they are real people. But sometimes it's easy to forget they're real people, with houses, families, cars, interests, hopes, and aspirations. Maybe they become customer numbers on a spreadsheet or in a database. Customer data doesn't have feelings, but real people do. Here's how I first realised marketers must never forget customers are real people. Whenever I deal with a customer problem, I apply what I call the couch test to that scenario. I invented the couch test 15 years ago when I appeared on a TV programme to defend the company I worked for after a colossal mistake that it had made. The experience started on a Friday morning as I was desperately trying to clear my workload so I could enjoy the weekend ahead. The phone rang and I found myself talking to a lady from independent television, ITV, in the UK. She was a researcher from a TV programme called We Can Work It Out. A consumer affairs program, it was a champion for customers let down by companies, messed about by corporates, scammed by cowboy tradespeople or ripped off by fraudsters. The usual format of the show was a live studio segment at the time of broadcast with video story inserts involving the customer. They'd invite someone on from the offending company to get a savage grilling on live TV. The lady on the phone told me about a customer of ours, let's call her June, who had claimed money on her critical illness insurance policy. Doctors had diagnosed June with multiple sclerosis, which her policy did cover. She put a claim in, but our claims department had turned it down. The reason they gave was June hadn't told us in her application that, many years earlier, she'd had a bout of prolonged pins and needles. If she'd told us this, it's unlikely that the company would have given her the policy, because prolonged pins and needles can be an early sign of multiple sclerosis. 
Insurance companies call this misrepresentation, and so the company decided not to pay June her £100,000. The producers of the TV programme had already shot a video about June, and they wanted someone to appear on the show to put forward our reasons for turning down June's claim. Dropping the phone, I sprinted along to the claims department to find out what they'd done and why. June's file was a huge pile of paper, with dozens of letters, type notes, post-it notes, forms, charts and doctor's reports. I discovered almost a year had passed between June claiming and the claims people saying no. Next up was a meeting with our PR expert, Tracy. The most pressing question to answer was, do we go on the show or not? Do we send them a statement to read out or do we just ignore them? Tracy said, someone needs to get their arse on the show. She took us through her thinking. It's a live TV show, she said. If we just send them a statement, they'll read it out, but in a way that will make us look bad. They'll most likely edit the statement too and make us look worse. They can choose to use only a few words from the statement and craft it to support the narrative of the show. We could decline to appear at all or decline to comment, in which case we're effectively admitting our guilt and they'll tear us apart. We'll have no opportunity to defend ourselves. Or we can go live on the TV and try to put our case across. She let that sink in for a moment. Now, as it's a live TV show, they can't actually edit as it's going out. There won't be a delay. What we and they say gets broadcast as is. So if we can get a word in and explain our position, we might have a chance to put our message across. But bear in mind, everyone watching will see us as the big corporate bad guy. So then we had to decide who was going to appear on the TV show. It's usual for companies to send a senior, important person like the CEO, the managing director or the marketing director. But they decided that they would send me. Everyone said I was a good communicator with a good chance of putting across the company's viewpoint. All I could imagine, though, was me as an inexperienced gladiator, wearing only a loincloth and going up against warriors with pikes, riding in on chariots with swords attached to the wheels. Tracy spent the weekend before the TV show training me how to handle the upcoming interview. First, she told me what to expect at the TV studio. They'll make you feel like the bad guy, she said, but they'll treat the customer like a VIP. Now, hearing this information didn't exactly fill me with confidence, but Tracy assured me she'll build my confidence up once we'd gone through our messages. She introduced the concept of the three key messages. Her advice was to come up with three and to stick with them. And Tracy spent the rest of the weekend training me, trying to allay my fears and build my confidence, and we came up with our three key messages. And here they are. Number one, we couldn't pay June's claim because she'd misrepresented her health history on her application form. Misrepresented is insurance company speak for lied. Number two, we wanted to give an example the audience could understand, like someone who had an earlier conviction for drink driving, but who hadn't told the insurance company about it when they were applying for car insurance. And number three, we don't make such tough decisions without a thorough process and discussion, but we must think of all our customers, especially the ones who do give us the correct information on their application forms. Wouldn't it be unfair to them if we paid June her money? 
Sleep eluded me for most of the weekend. I worried incessantly about appearing on the TV show. In my head was a horrible image of me sitting in a baking hot studio, sweating on camera, looking really guilty on TV, amplifying the bad guy image the TV producers wanted to sell to the viewers. The following Monday, I travelled down from Edinburgh to Yorkshire to the TV studios. One of our PR assistants kept me company on the train. When we arrived at the studio, the TV producers kept us waiting for ages. No one said much to us. They didn't even give us much of a briefing about what to expect. From the waiting area, I could see a giant couch where I would soon sit next to the presenter. I could feel my heart pounding in my chest. My breath felt short. I started to feel those little prickles of sweat popping up on my forehead like tiny bubbles. The presenter appeared, strode across the studio and sat down on the couch. As the makeup artist put the finishing touches to her makeup and hair, she looked immaculate. My slot on the show began. The presenter introduced the story. In a grave voice, she explained how my company had declined a big insurance claim for a nice lady called June, who was suffering from multiple sclerosis. Next came the pre-recorded interview with June in her home. She looked frail, a seriously ill lady wronged by a big corporate. While they transmitted the videotape, they marched me up to the couch and sat me next to the presenter. Once the video finished playing, the presenter turned and launched straight into me. Well, this is outrageous, isn't it? She said. Why are you not paying the claim? I opened my mouth to reply, but the presenter raised her voice and spoke over me. This lady's paid her premiums for many, many years. She took this policy out so she would get money if she became ill. And now she's ill and you've let her down. You're not paying the claim. What is going on? Despite her aggressive tone, I no longer felt nervous. My greatest fear of sweating on camera had disappeared. To my surprise, the studio was ice cold. I'd expected tropical, but found Arctic. I wasn't going to sweat. I felt confident as I recalled the weekend of endless rehearsals about our key messages. I turned to the presenter. Unfortunately, June didn't tell us about the pins and needles she had before she took the policy out. Had we known about it, we wouldn't have accepted her for a policy in the first place. Of course, the presenter flew into a fury and started to challenge me on this. I came back using the argument about car insurance. This isn't car insurance, the presenter interrupted. No, I said, but I'm using the example of car insurance to explain to your viewers how similar rules apply to life and health insurance. Then the presenter said that June had just made an innocent mistake. She hadn't intended to be economical with the truth. The pins and needles have got nothing to do with the illness. You should pay the claim immediately. My boss had told me under no circumstances could I say we would change our decision and pay. The TV presenter pushed me further. Are you going to pay the claim? I tried to deflect it again by going back to the misrepresentation. Time seemed to slow down. The spotlight was on me and the questions kept coming. They seemed to be extending the segment until they could get me to say yes or no. They weren't going to cut the segment until I answered. She must have asked me five times, and all I could think about was millions of people watching this TV show, watching me, this scumbag insurance person, squirming and avoiding answering a simple question. She asked me again, are you going to pay the claim? And I finally said, no. Of course, this allowed the presenter to finish the segment with withering condemnation of my company. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. They're refusing to do the right thing. I don't think it's the last we'll hear about this. They bundled me out of the studio. No thank you or goodbye. Almost kicked me up the arse to propel me on my way. 
When I arrived back at the office the following day, everyone held me as a hero. The CEO phoned and said he thought I'd done a remarkably good job. But despite the pats on the back and my perceived personal victory, two million viewers saw that moment on live TV where I said no. We weren't going to pay. Did that feel like a victory? I began to feel bad. What happened next was a massive internal review of June's case, which should have been completed before they sent me in front of the cameras, to be honest. Going through the mountain of paper, we discovered lots more information we hadn't considered before the show. The executive committee of the company decided we were, in fact, in the wrong, and we would finally pay June's claim. Two weeks later, I went back on the TV programme, this time to tell them they had been successful in getting us to change our mind. The second appearance wasn't quite as bad as the first. Well, they'd won, hadn't they? Now they could afford to be nicer to us. As soon as I sat down on the couch the second time, they ran the videotape recording of the show two weeks previously, the video of me saying no, and then, live to millions of people, I said yes. I felt awful. Not because we changed our minds and paid. I'd read all the review paperwork. I agreed with the executive committee but because we'd let the customer down in the first place. My TV experience forced me to convince the CEO that we had to go and visit June and personally hand over the cheque and apologise for the upset we put her through. And by we, I meant the CEO himself, not just a representative of the company. Finally, he agreed. June lived in Scotland, not too far from Edinburgh in fact, and we drove up to meet her. Her home was a beautiful cottage at the end of a street in a small village at the foot of the Scottish Highlands. Frost sparkled on the ground. We knocked on the cottage door and June let us in. Sadly, she did look as frail as she had in the video, but she welcomed us into her home with no animosity at all showing on her face or in her attitude or voice. We could smell baking bread and in the living room a pile of logs glowed in the heat of a roaring fire. A giant ginger cat sprawled out in front of the flames enjoying the warmth. What a lovely home. June offered us coffee, and soon the smell of roasted beans combined with the aroma of the bread. We sat down on her sofa, and the CEO apologised and handed over her cheque. June was so nice to us, and I felt worse just then than I had done in the TV studio. That was the moment it occurred to me that over the course of the last year, when we'd been dealing with June, all she had been to us was a problem. She hadn't been a real human being in our eyes. She'd just been a policy number, 156-7432G. She hadn't been a real person. She'd been a stack of paper. But now, here I was, sitting on a comfy sofa in her living room. This was the real person, the real June, baking bread, brewing coffee with her cat in front of the fire the person we should have been talking to all along. We let her down, a real person with a real life, and a real life now blighted by illness. We were the bad guys. I was a bad guy. At that moment, I conceived the idea of the couch test. I never wanted to go on TV ever again to justify bad service or nasty things perpetrated by a company I was working for. The couch test is a question I ask myself when faced with a similar issue today. Could I go on TV and sit on the couch next to the TV presenter in front of those spotlights and legitimately argue we were in the right? If my answer was no, I couldn't, then the issue would fail the couch test and I would insist the company do the right thing for the customer. 
That's the couch test. And the couch test has become my marketing conscience. Well, I hope you enjoyed that story. It was a trip down memory lane for me. We all have stories like that. We're all the sum of our experiences, our mistakes and our successes. And the couch test is something that I always think about if I ever come up against a problem where the customer could be disadvantaged by anything that I'm doing or my company is doing. And that was, in fact, an extract from my book, Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans. And I really hope that it gave you some food for thought. If you fancy buying the book, please go to rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book, rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book, and you'll find all the links that you need to get the book from Amazon, either as a Kindle edition or as a printed paperback. Yes, you can even get a printed copy, even in these digital times. Thank you so much for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. I really do appreciate Again, you downloading or streaming the show. I hope you have a fabulous festive period and you come back in 2021 raring to go. And I'll be back with more episodes of the Marketing and Finance podcast and we'll be back with some guests next year. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.